We first turn to John 14, where we'll read the verses 1 through 14, and then to chapter 16, where we'll read the verses 5 through 16. First, we read from God's Word in John 14, starting at verse 1. Here, the Word of the Lord speaks to us as follows. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would, not, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's John 14. We turn ahead to chapter 16 and start reading at verse 5 to verse 16. After we've heard from this passage, God's word will sing in response. Psalm 68 stands as 1 and 2. John 16 starting at five, where the Lord Jesus continues with his disciples, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. May. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth, but with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all. For his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on, and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends us his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. After the ministry of the word, we will sing in response hymn 39. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of Christ's ascension bears an interesting connection to the world of developmental psychology. It was discovered years ago that infants don't understand that objects removed from their field of vision continue to exist. If the object is covered or the child casts his gaze elsewhere, the child believes it ceases to exist. And so the game of Peekaboo is such a riot for the little ones. They are truly joyful when they find that you still exist, when you reappear from around the corner or from behind an object. Peekaboo is very stimulating, very mysterious for the little ones. 
and it's a good time for the grown-ups as well. And yet there comes a point when children begin to understand that, a, that physical objects are permanent, and that's when the game becomes far less entertaining. It becomes more of a challenge to fool children. By this point in their development, they more and more miss a parent or a caregiver when they are absent. This is a developmental breakthrough, and it's been called object permanence. It's when they start to understand that the world beyond what you can see, beyond the horizon, does indeed exist. Now, what does this have to do with the doctrine of Christ's ascension? There is a certain kind of object permanence surrounding his ascension. He said in John 14, verse 19, Yet a, li a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. He was referring to his ascension when he would send the Holy Spirit. Christ said he would disappear from physical sight. We can no longer see him or touch him. But that doesn't mean he no longer exists. He sits at God's right hand as a man. And we, for our part, do struggle with that at times. We wrestle with object permanence. We can't see him, so we do sometimes question his existence, or at least his care for us. And yet he said to us, but you will see me. That was his call to trust that though he was leaving earth, we can see and we can know that he is a permanent object. We can know him as our permanent Lord with the eyes of faith. And we can believe his words in John 16 that he removed himself from our gaze. He ascended into heaven for our good, for our advantage. So I bring to you the word of God in this way. Christ ascended into heaven for your permanent advantage. We'll see two things. First, that he remains united with you. Secondly, he remains busy for you. Well, yes, the ascension of our Lord implies that we can no longer meet him here. The Gospels give to us detailed accounts on how he walked around Palestine from one location to another. People of Galilee and Capernaum could go out to see him, to listen to him preach the good news of the kingdom of God. There were other occasions where he was met by crowds that wanted to hear his teaching. Sick people were brought to him for healing. But his ascension changed all that. By his ascension, he put a distance between himself and us. And there is no way for us in this life to bridge that gap. His, his ascension has forced us to concentrate on his written testimony, his revelation made known to us through the accounts of eyewitnesses. And the revelation, that revelation of his preaching and teaching and his miracles is what the Holy Spirit applies to our hearts and lives. And so Christ, as a man, has entered the full glory of heaven. He left us. He said to his disciples in the upper room in John 14, verse 2, 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Later, in John 16, verse 28, he adds, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Christ, as true man, is in heaven. There's a distance between him and us. He is ascended. He's distant physically from you and me. He's also distant from us in another way. And that comes out when we consider his glory. During his earthly life, nothing of the glory that he had shared with his heavenly father was visible, discernible in him. And his environment didn't show any of the glory that he was used to either. He wasn't born in a palace, but a manger. He grew up the son of a carpenter. <clears throat> he didn't stand out among the boys of Nazareth. Instead, he was humiliated, despised, ridiculed, and he accepted all that. But now, after the shame of the cross, he was exalted to the place of highest glory and given the name above every name. Now he is distant from us in his glory because we still live in our humble, our lowly flesh. We live in a body of decay. And we can't see his glorious nature now. For as the Apostle John writes in 1 John 3 verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And so you and I, as his people, can experience at times an intense longing and a desire for, his, for the physical distance to be removed. What we are longing for is both his physical presence and for his glory. It's as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We're very aware that by our still living in this body, <clears throat> we experience an absence of the Lord, and that for us there can only be a true physical dwelling with the Lord when we've left behind this body, or when he returns. Yet, though he is absent from us in his body and his glory, he's never alienated us. <clears throat> we don't live a life of separation from him. For when Christ ascended to heaven, he took upon himself the ability to give himself to you in the broadest sense. He's able to share himself with those who are his. Question and answer 47 fills this out for us. Is Christ the ascended one then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised? Christ promised, we remember, at the end of his earthly life, and surely I am with you always, 
to the very end of the age. And that was, of course, such a rich promise. Christ promised to be with you every good day and bad day, even until the end of the world. That's when the enmity against the church will burn fiercely. That's when the Antichrist will appear. That's when we will be able to do nothing in the storm without Christ. But he's promised, I shall remain to the end to carry you through to safe harbor. Christ is always there. He grants power, encouragement. Yes, what comfort that brings to us. So yes, Christ does do every last thing he promised us. For what did he really mean when he promised to be with us always? How does that, yes, mesh with what he said earlier, that it is for your good that I'm going away? He means, as a man, I cannot remain with you, but as God, I am able to do that and will do that too. <clears throat> and so we confess, Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth, but with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he's never absent from us. As a man, he left, but as God, he remains with us. Just imagine if that were the other way around. He remains as man and leaves as God. Then where would our hope, our courage be? And so we rejoice that it is this way, that he really is never absent from us. Psalm 139, a well-known psalm, illustrates for us the omnipresence of the Lord. He's before us and behind. He fills the universe with his presence. This is your God. And since Christ is God, Son of God, he too shares in that identity. He remains with you in his divinity and his majesty. Well, those words in our confession refer specifically to Christ's almighty power and supreme authority. Christ is just as close to you now as when he walked on this earth, walked on the lake, multiplied bread, or even raised up people from the dead. For he doesn't need to be physically present to exercise his power and authority. Recall that centurion who asked Christ to heal his servant. When Christ was yet at a distance from the centurion's home, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. That centurion believed that Christ's power, his majesty, could cover the distance that physically separated the two of them. And it's no different today. Now from heaven above, Christ continues to exercise his almighty power and supreme authority on earth. Well, what immeasurable comfort that brings to us. The king, the true king of Canada, of heaven and earth, is never absent from us in his governing 
and directing. The church of Jesus Christ is living proof of that. Throughout the ages, after the ascension of Christ, she's been hated, persecuted, still today. She, the church, would have long ago since passed from the scene had it not been for the power and authority of Christ. The Reformation would have never happened if Christ had not ascended into heaven. The church would never have made it without his departure. There would be no Ancaster Canadian Reformed Church today if Christ had remained on earth. He had to go for our advantage. That's where the work had to continue, from heaven to earth. Well, Christ, we confess, also remains with us in his grace. That's his undeserved mercy. When he was on earth, he had compassion on those who suffered under the brokenness of this life. And his ascension into heaven didn't change a thing about that. Christ Jesus is still fully aware of all your trials and temptations. And he's just as compassionate today as he was before. He supplies you with strength to bear up under the brokenness of this life. And lastly, Christ also remains with us by his spirit. In a fashion, Christ is closer to his people now than when he walked on this earth. Before, Christ walked alongside his followers. Now he dwells within us through his spirit. That spirit is the spirit of his word. It's the spirit whose power, Christ's word, by whose power Christ renews us, and by whose power we can understand that word so that it then engages us, our lives, leads us. By his spirit, Christ's word enters our life, and because it lives in us, it makes us free. And so we, of course, can never understate the importance of being busy in prayer for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. We need his work of illumination so that we can understand his word. Brothers and sisters, all of this is to say that, through, that though Christ is absent in body, you still share in his life. You participate in his life. He's always present with you. There is nothing that separates him from you. Through faith, you become fully aware of his presence in this world, in your heart. God's grace and love in Christ are always so lofty and yet so very, very nearby. By his ascension, therefore, neither his divinity nor his humanity is in any way lessened, but rather both of them have become even more real for us, near to us. He still remains united with you. It was for your benefit that he went away. And so we see more of this in the second point, 
We see that Christ remains busy for us. Well, in the last question and answer of this Lord's Day, we ask, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? And the first benefit is expressed as follows. He is our advocate in heaven before his Father. We read in 1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Christ intercedes in heaven before the Father for us. We, of course, like it when someone who knows us puts in a good word for us. It comes in handy if you want a job at a certain place. It's important to know someone who has some influence. But these very same people can also let you down. Yet we have a dependable advocate in Christ. He is our best intercessor. He continually presents himself to the Father that, so that for his sake, the Father would be gracious to you. You might even say that there is a continuing work of atonement in heaven. You are reconciled to God by his, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But there's ongoing reconciliation also by Christ coming before God as the righteous one. Yes, you believe in a living, busy, active mediator whose love for his Father and for you makes his work sufficient. Everything he does in heaven focuses on his intercession for you. His intercession is Work before the Father brings about reconciliation. How so? Oh, because he is there in heaven with his scarred and broken body. The Apostle John saw that very clearly. A lamb who looked like it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, opening the scroll and being worshipped. Revelation 5. Beloved, with that body, Christ then turns your Father's attention away from your sin and to Christ's perfect sacrifice and righteousness. Well, what a blessing it is to have Christ already as our advocate. He is the most fitting person to have as our intercessor in the heavenly realms. No one is better able than he to be touched by your weaknesses, your illnesses, your temptations. He knows you in heaven with the love of his human heart because he was tempted with all our temptations to the fullest measure possible because he himself is infinite. He's always then filled with infinite compassion for you. And he brings all of that to our Father. When I have sinned before the Lord, and sometimes the very same sin for the umpteenth time, and I fall down on my knees, and I beg for forgiveness, 
my advocate is doing something of the same, speaking to the father on my behalf. Father, do not be angry with your child. Look at my hands, my side. You directed your anger and your justice at me. His sins have been paid for. Christ prays for you, beloved. He prays continually those words of the high priestly prayer. Father, I want those whom you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Brothers, sisters, is that not amazing to you? The Lord Jesus yearns for his own. He yearns for you. Yes, even at those times when you don't yearn for him, long for him, his yearning is still for you. That's an explosive thought. And there's more. The Catechism goes on to mention a second benefit of Christ's ascension, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Our Lord and Savior took up with him into heaven our flesh and blood. For us, even though we live by faith and therefore know that heaven exists, life in heaven is far beyond our understanding. And yet, there is one thing that has brought heaven closer. Christ has made it more fully known to us. Everything we know from Scripture about his obedience, his victory over sin, and his glorification has all made heaven more familiar to us. As the author to the Hebrews writes, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We see him crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. We now have some insight into the circumstances in heaven. It's the place of glory and of perfect obedience. And it gives us anticipation of our future life. Again, as we read in John 14, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I, not have, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, I will come again and take you to myself. And so the glorious inheritance of our life awaits in heaven. I ask, how, congregation, does that affect your life today? Do you make decisions in life from a cause and effect point of view? Motivated by factors in the here and now? Or does the purpose, the goal of your life also contribute to your decisions? You have been raised up with Christ. That's what Paul says more often in his letters, Ephesians 2 verse 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? 
the believer today can already say, I am in heaven already because we've been set free from the power of sin and so we may now rest in the security of our union with the ascended Christ. Christ has taken our flesh into heaven and so nothing on earth or in hell is going to stop the believer from entering heaven. Yet, already now, beloved, that work of Christ has to function in your life. Our ascension into heaven, if you like, has to be recognizable, visible in our lives today. By faith, we are involved in that. We have our eyes fixed on our destination. We submit today already our actions, thoughts, desires, and words to our destination. We surrender in faith to the future. <clears throat> One more blessing from Christ's ascension is found. <clears throat> Christ sends us his spirit as a counter pledge. Christ took our flesh to heaven as a sure pledge. We heard that last week. And now he sends his spirit to earth as a counter pledge. That's what he promised in John 16. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And his purpose, the Lord Jesus says, is to point you to your ascended Lord. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Christ is saying, he says, all that the Father in heaven has, all that he has is mine. Therefore I said that he, Spirit, will take what is mine, my glory to be revealed from heaven, and declare it to you. Jesus Christ, we've heard, he desires that we seek the things that are above. Seek him. Think of him. And so for us to do that, he gives to us his spirit as a counter pledge. And so the spirit was given to you to help you seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. His work, you see, is directly in line with Christ's ascension. Christ went to heaven to rule by his sovereign grace. That's what the spirit wants to see in you, produce in you. He wants to direct you to Christ's sovereign, gracious rule. He works in your hearts to see Christ above, who is busy for you still today, from above. Yes, that means, beloved, that he works to push you more and more, push your gaze away from earth and to his glory in heaven. He doesn't want you to feel so comfortable on this earth that you forget all about where your head is. And so he pushes you, leads you to carry into this world, into your daily lives, the things that are above. What are some of those things? I mention only a couple. 
peace and harmony. We can enjoy already now peace and harmony when we have our eyes on Christ. Otherwise, our focus gives in to gravity and looks at what the naked eye can see. Earthly things, our pleasures, our possessions, our status, our job, our family. Our focus could equally remain on the sorrows of this life or on the offenses that others have caused us or the hurt and the pain inflicted upon us. There is so much that can so easily dominate our attention in this life and threaten our peace and harmony. And because that happens, we experience that so strongly at times. It's for that very reason that Christ, our ascended Lord, gave to us his Holy Spirit to turn our gaze to where there is true peace and harmony. The Spirit is preparing us for future glory, where such peace and harmony will never be disrupted, but already in this life. We may enjoy a rich foretaste of that when we, by the Spirit's power, seek the things that are above. That's where our home truly lies. Brothers and sisters, your Savior left you for his heavenly palace. He still exists, though you cannot see him. He's given to you his Holy Spirit so that you would more and more learn about object permanence. Christ has not abandoned you, but he remains with you. And he works for you. So then live, brothers, sisters, in light of heaven, in light of the future. The Spirit is preparing you for eternal future glory. Live then in submissive faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom after you have suffered a little while, you will see face to face forever. Amen.